So I'm somebody who really has to experience stuff for myself before I'm kind of convinced about it. This is especially true with food. Some of you guys know me. You know I'm super picky. Uh, the guys on staff here hate me. My wife can't stand me because I'm so picky. I, I will just literally eat the same two or three things all week. You know, I'm fine with that. Just the same deal. I could just pretty much stick with like burgers, pizza, and like some kind of spicy chicken. I'm good. You know, just lock me away. I'm fine. All right. Now I have good reason to be so picky because I, I, I live through a traumatic event. You guys know how on the sides of the labels of the food, they normally list different allergies and information. And my kids have some food allergies. So we have to kind of check, check into those and make sure everything's cool every time we give them something. And so recently we bought some cupcakes. And as I was reading, Reading through the list there, you know, it's got all the ingredients, and then it says stuff about maybe processed in a plant that processes peanuts and all the normal stuff. But then it says this, and I'm not making it up. It said, may contain children under the age of three. And I just stopped, and I thought to myself, you know, if that's true, I might rethink eating these, right? I mean, you know that label guy lost his job. Barry, have you been putting children in the cupcakes again? Well, they may be in there, they may not. I'm not sure. You know, but obviously somebody messed up pretty badly, but it kind of scarred me, okay? So it takes me a little time to, to be not so suspicious about food. Um, one of the things that stands out to me as something that, that really kind of like was a life-changing moment for me food-wise was about 13, 14 years ago, I was hanging out with some friends at a fine establishment called Chili's, and the waiter came over and accidentally put the chips and salsa on our table. We hadn't ordered him, but he put them there, and it was the leading of the Holy Spirit that he did. I'm just saying, okay? And so we're sitting there, and I'm so super, super skeptical, and I'm super picky, and my buddies are going, oh my gosh, these chips and the salsa are amazing. Now, Doug Jansen did not eat salsa at that time, right, because I just hadn't gone that far in life, okay? And so I kind of got up the guts, and I eventually dipped that thing, and I took a bite, and life was changed forever, right? And it's funny, I go from very quickly, once I experience something great, I go from kind of suspicious and weirded out to like number one fan very, very quickly in life. And now I'm the guy who will go to Chili's like after church tonight and just order the chips and salsa, you know, like $3.47 on my credit card. They love that. We're the family. My family is the family that will sit and eat our entire meal at Chili's. And if there's like seven or eight chips left in the basket, we'll actually ask the waiter to wrap them up. Seven or eight chips. There's like a crayon in the salsa at this point, you know. That's fine. Just adds a little texture. We'll go with that. And so... I'm that guy now, and I'll tell you, man, that experience changes everything. And the same is true all kinds of different things in life. You know, you're, you're feeling a little timid about a certain experience, about doing something a little daring. Some people are like, oh, I want to jump out of a plane. Everybody else is like, no way, you're crazy, you know. But then the people do it, and they're like, oh, my gosh, it was the best thing ever. You have to do it yourself. And, and so experiencing things for ourselves is a huge, huge deal. And the same is true in our relationship with God. When you and I experience God for ourselves, it really changes everything and it brings our relationship with God to life. It's vital. It's so important that every single person experience God for themselves. That it's not just about a book they read or a sermon they heard or somebody else's experience that they enjoy, but that they have their own experience with God. And so as I was kind of praying about what to do next here at church and just praying like, God, what... What should we talk about? What should we spend some time on? I was thinking about, if you've been around for a while, you know that we kind of have narrowed in on these five things that we think are really important for everyone that wants to center their life around Jesus. And you've heard me talk about this if you've been around for a while. One of them is that you learn about God. Others, you experience God. Then there's that we worship God. And there's that we connect with others and we serve others, right? Those are those kind of five things. And I thought through that list, and I felt like out of the five, the one that I think we really could kind of need uh, just some help with, some encouragement toward, is experiencing God. 
that as a church, that we would more and more experience God and encounter God. Now, there's all different ways people experience God. And sometimes it's just as simple as somebody who had no peace now has this incredible peace in their life. And I'll tell you what, Christians, sometimes we take things like peace and joy for granted because we've lived with them for a long time. But I'll tell you what, when you're walking through life with no peace, when there's no joy in your heart, and then suddenly you get it, that's life-changing. And so maybe some of you in the room, man, you just need God to fill you with some peace and some joy. Uh, Other people experience God as they pray. They pray and they ask God to change a situation and then God shows up and does the impossible and your mind is blown. You're just amazed at what God has done. Sometimes God will heal someone that you pray for. Sometimes God will provide in a way that you just can't see how any other way, any other circumstance, any other coincidence could have made this happen. No, God worked it out. Sometimes God puts families back together. It's one of my favorite things to see in the whole world is a husband and wife put back together by God's mercy and grace or kids and their parents reconciliation taking place. It's just amazing. Sometimes people experience God as they're addicted to something and God frees them and they've tried every other way but then God shows up and everything changes. And so there's a billion different ways that we can experience God in our lives. But you know what? In a room this size, there's a couple of different places we may find ourselves in. All right? There are some of us in the room tonight that have a lot of knowledge about God, but we've never really had our own personal experience with God. This was me growing up. I grew up in a great church. I went to a great Christian school. Then I went to a great Christian college, and I had a ton of head knowledge. But man, I tell you what, I would be reading the Bible going, I want to experience this though. I want to experience. I'd be reading stories about Peter and Paul and all these guys and they saw God do miracles and amazing things and I'm going, man, I know these stories. I could tell them to you, you know, one after the other, but I want to experience what they experienced. I don't just want to read about what they experienced. And so some of, the, some of you, you're in that place right now. You have tons of knowledge and that's good. That's not a bad thing, having knowledge about God. But man, it's time for you to encounter God, experience him for yourself in a life-changing way. Some of us in the room have great knowledge of God and we've had some experience of God. But if we're honest, it's just been a while. Just been a while since we really experienced God. It's been a while since we've seen an answer to prayer. It's been a while since we've just felt that passion in our heart for him again. And so I hope this series kind of inspires you to begin to seek God for a current up-to-date experience with God. Some of you guys have experienced God recently and life is good. You're just like, man, I'm just good. Life is good. Everything around me may be falling apart, but God showed himself to me in such a real way and I'm just living large right now. What I want to encourage you to do is make, let that make you more hungry. Let that make you more passionate in the future about experiencing God in a new way. And there's probably another group of us here. And that other group Maybe those of you who have never experienced God at all, and you also don't really feel like you know much about God. Maybe you'd say, I'm not a follower of Jesus, or I'm a new follower of Jesus, or I'm kind of not sure what I am. And you know what? You may be thinking to yourself, I don't even know if God's there. Why would I invest energy or time or resources in trying to figure out if he is? And I just hope as you kind of spend some time with us in this series, you'll be inspired to really, really look to God for your own personal experience. Don't, don't just settle for my experience or my stories or your friend's experiences or their stories, but that every person in this room, no matter what group or category you might find yourself in, would say, no, I want a current experience with God. And so what I want to do in this series for these 
first three weeks, and then the last week's gonna be a little different. These first three weeks, I really wanna talk about why experiencing God is so important. Because there are some incredible things that happen when you and I experience God for ourselves. I think one of the reasons it's so important, which is what I really wanna spend our time on today, is that you and I are really great at forgetting how powerful and awesome God is. Isn't that true? We're good at it. I'm good at it. We're just so quick to forget the times that God comes through. We're so quick to forget his power and how awesome he is. What do those words really mean? Well, we're going to be reading a story about the Israelites today. And so the stories written about the Israelites are in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, in a book called Joshua. And so this would have been written in Hebrew. So I just want to take a second. And today I'm only giving you three Hebrew words. I'm not even going to ask you to say them. And I'm certainly not going to try to embarrass myself and say them. So what do these words mean? Well, the first word, power. This, we so quickly forget about God. It means, it means strength. It means strong. It means that God is strong. And we just tend to forget that sometimes. We start to look at a situation in our life and we start to freak out, right? I do this too. We start to look at a situation in our life and begin to think, I don't know how to get out of this. And we forget the powerful, strong God that is in our life. The powerful, strong God that's able to do all things. And so we forget how powerful he is. But we also forget how awesome he is. Now, the Hebrew word that we find our word awesome from is actually the word fear. And I don't want you to be afraid of God. I want you to be in awe of God. You see, in the Old Testament, as you read through over and over and over again, different writers would say this. They would say, fear the Lord your God, or fear your God, or fear God. And this word fear would come up. But it's not being afraid of God. It's being in awe of God. That's where we get our English word from, this Hebrew word for fear. And so as you and I start to think, well, what is, what is there to be in awe of God about, right? Why is God awesome? Well, he's awesome in all the ways that we so easily forget. Like what? Like he's loving. Like he loves you. Remember we talked about this last week a little bit, that so often you and I kind of feel like God is out to get us, like he's angry at us, like he's shaking his head, like he's the disapproving father looking down on us we can never please. But God, part of his awesomeness is his unbelievable love for you. You know what else is huge? You ready? Every one of us feels this. God is present. He's with you. That's a part of him being awesome, is that he's with you. And we forget that all the time. It's so easy, isn't it? When we begin to go through a hard situation, we begin to pray and we're crying out to God and asking him to do this. And it just feels like there's no answer or things got worse. It's so easy to forget he's with us, he's present. Another reason he's awesome is that he cares. He cares. You you know he cares about stuff? I was talking with a couple today after church, and, and they were just sharing about how basically they have a hard time just asking God for things that they need. And I just looked back at them, and I said, you know what, you guys are a young couple. I'm gonna guess you're gonna have kids someday. And, and can you just imagine your kid being afraid of coming up to you and saying, hey, can I have some ice cream? Right? Imagine your kid being afraid of that. Well, well, imagine God's heart for you, his love for you, his care for you. He wants you to feel completely comfortable seeking him for the little things in your life, as well as the big things. Sometimes we pray only the big prayers and for other people, and that's good. It's good for us to pray big prayers for other people. But what about the little prayers for the things that bother you and I? Just when we're a little sad, we're a little depressed, when we're a little down, 
when we're a little fearful about the future, right? It's so easy to forget that God is awesome. And because he's awesome, it means he cares even about those little things. And so we're going to look today at a really powerful story in the Bible. And I think it does a great job of showing the awesomeness and the power of God. But even down to the little tiny details of our lives that we might not really think he cares too much about or wants to be too present in. And so we're going to look at these verses here today and we're going to see really, really clearly that something incredible happens when you and I experience God. So we're going to look at a story in the book of Joshua. And here's basically what happened. Some of you guys know the story, right? God rescues the Israelites out of Egypt and he parts the Red Sea, which was ridiculous, right? I mean, it's a sea. And behind the Israelites who were trapped by the sea is the army, the, the Egyptian army that's coming to kill them all, right? Or put them back into slavery, one or the other. It's going to go one way or the other. And so here they are trapped, and God parts this huge sea, and they walk across on dry ground. It's this amazing miracle. It's this huge miracle. It's literally life or death, right? But then what happens is they wander in the desert for 40 years. And it's not that the promised land God was trying to take them to was 40 years away. It's that their hearts were 40 years away from being able to enjoy the promised land. They just weren't ready for what God had. They were constantly just trying to do their own thing in their own way. So literally a generation had to die off. And so Moses, famous Moses, who kind of led them out, well, he's gone now. And this new guy, Joshua, is leading the Israelites. And they're kind of finally getting close to the promised land. They're really close to getting to where God has for them. And Joshua knows something. He knows that he has to lead the people across the Jordan River to get toward another area near the promised land. And you know what? As Joshua reaches the river, even though he knew this was coming, this day would come, I I wish there was like, you know, straight up movie footage of this so we could all see it. But I can almost promise you that as Joshua stood on the Jordan River bank and he looked behind him at two million people with all their kids and their tents and their stuff and their goats and their sheep, I can almost promise you that he looked up at God and went, really? Really, God, you want, you, you want me now to get two million people across a river we can't get ourselves across. Now, this isn't the Red Sea, right? There's not an Egyptian army coming after them to kill them or put them back into slavery. But this is still a problem. It's a, a river they can't get across with all the stuff and all the people and all the things that they have on their own. And I just want you to think for a second. I think this is powerful. Because this isn't a life or death miracle God may do here. No, it's a, it's a, hey, I'm with you miracle. It's a, hey, I'm present and I care about even the littler things in your life type of miracle. That's what we see here in this story today. And so look what happens as Joshua is standing on the riverbank. God kind of gives him the plan. He says in Joshua 3 verse 13, the priests will be carrying the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. Now let me pause for a second and say the priests were not carrying Noah's ark. Okay, they would have been some pretty jacked priests to carry Noah's ark, okay? They were carrying what's called the ark of the covenant. And the ark of the covenant was this box that they had made and it was covered, it was made out of wood and then covered in gold and it had some things in it, but most importantly was this was God's presence with the people. Do you know what I love about that? This was God's constant reminder. There's just these these probably four dudes, these four priests walking around carrying the ark of the covenant with this constant reminder, I'm with you. My presence is here. I'm with you. I care. 
I'm awesome. I'm powerful. I'm with you. Then he says this. When their feet touch the water, the priest's feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off upstream, and the river will pile up there in one heap. Now just think about that for a second. Okay, so these four priests got the ark, right? And he says when their feet hit the water, it's going to part, and the water's going to pile up in a heap. A couple of thoughts about that. I think, first of all, we have to recognize it wasn't the priest's feet that did it, Feats, wow. It wasn't the priests, definitely wasn't their feet. It may have been their feet. No, it wasn't their feet that did it. It was the power and presence of God, right? Another thing that I think is interesting is that the priests had to get in the water before it parted, right? We all kind of want to stand here and watch it part before we go across. But what God tells them is, no, 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 I want you to get in the water first. Use some faith, use some expectation, and then see me part it. And I also just love the imagery here. I mean, you guys, here's this wall behind me, or check out that wall over there, right? I mean, the water is about to pile up like a wall. Just imagine, have you actually like thought this through, what this must have looked like and how cool it must have been? So look at verse 14, it says this. When the people set out to cross the Jordan, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now it was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing at its banks. What does this mean? It means the river was its deepest, its widest, and its fastest. Right here. Right when they needed to cross. Isn't that just like God's timing? The harvest season means it had been raining. The harvest season means that the mountains nearby, the melt or the snow had melted and was going down into the river, making it faster and wider and deeper. Isn't that just like God to lead us to a river right when it's kind of at its worst, right when it's at its most impossible for us to deal with, right when we think we're about to get to the promised land and then suddenly there's this thing in the way. I know I've been there in my life. You know, I think about when my wife was pregnant with my first, my first son, Cade, and everything was going pretty well as far as we knew. And then all of a sudden we start going to the doctor and they start saying things like, he stopped growing. He's, he's, there's a problem with the umbilical cord. The food's not traveling through. He's not, he's not growing anymore. I know what it feels like to be struggling financially and then the car breaks down and then the kid goes flying off the playground and you go to the ER and you got a $2,000, $3,000 bill, right? It always seems like we kind of get led to the Jordan when it's at its biggest, when it's at its widest, when it's at its deepest. And maybe that's life for some of you right now. Maybe you're standing there and you're going, man, this isn't just a little river I got to get across. This isn't a little tiny stream I got to get across, but this is something I can't cross on my own strength, and I just need God to do something that only God can do. And so at this time, the river was probably somewhere between 300 and 360 feet wide. It was probably 10 to 12 feet deep, and 2 million people, all their stuff, their sheep, their goats, their kids, the older people, everybody's got to get across this thing. And Joshua knows that in their own strength, it's just not going to happen. But look at what happens. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water began piling up at a town upstreet called Adam, which is near Zarathane. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Now, what I love about this is if you just look at that verse right there, it says that this all happened. The water began piling up at a town called Adam, which is near Zarathane. I love that because what, what we're trying to see here is that, hey, this happened in like real life. It doesn't say that it started piling up 
near a town called Mordor, which is near Narnia, right? Okay, this happened in real life. And I just kind of want you guys to see what this looks like here. I got kind of this zoomed out map first for you guys to check out. And this is kind of like the real super zoomed out one. If you want to zoom in a little, this is ancient Israel. Okay, and so right all the way at the top of the screen, the front row can see it, is Zarathon. And right near it is Adam. If you guys can see where it says Gad, Adam is just above that. And so what's about to happen here is the river is about to stop flowing right at that point where Adam is. And all the river that was going to keep on flowing is going to drain down into the Dead Sea right here. And right there, they're going to have exactly the space that they need to get 2 million people across the Jordan River. Then it says this. Then all the people crossed over near the city of Jericho. Just remember that name, Jericho. We're going to talk about that a little later. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by them. You got to think about these, these four priests. You got to think about the fact that they're standing there while two million people walk by them. You know, one of them's like, is it almost over? Another one's like, dude, we got 1.6 million to go. He's like, I got a cramp. You know, I mean, you know, these poor guys are feeling it, right? Then it says this, they waited there until everyone had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. You know, when like the last 10,000 go and the priests were like, no, no, take your time. We're fine. You know, do what you got to do. No, no rush. But, but let's just talk for a minute about the fact that not only did the river stop flowing, did it wall up, but also that the ground was dry. You guys know rivers don't have dry ground, right? When Joey, our youth pastor, was in about ninth or 10th grade, we went on this canoeing trip. I don't know what we were thinking, but the, me and him and a couple other guys went on this canoeing trip early one Saturday morning, and we're out there trying to be men, and uh, we're rowing along, and I, it was hot. I was just bored. I didn't want to be there anymore, and I just stood up, and I dove out of our canoe, and I tipped the other guy's canoe, right? So then they dove out of their canoe. And t- well, they were already out. So they swam to our canoe. Magically, it reappeared. No, they, they swam to ours. They tipped us. So now we're all sitting in the middle of the river, and I'm thinking to myself, I should have thought this through a little better, right? That wasn't very wise. But anyway, we got ourselves over to where we could stand. And we started to, to kind of stand up so we could turn the canoes back over. And literally, our legs went down about two or three feet into nothing but mush. It was completely disgusting. We were all getting stuck in there. One guy's shoe was never seen again. It was lost in the abyss of mushy mudness, just gone, okay? And so that's what a riverbed is like. And so if you're thinking, all right, well, maybe something happened up there in Zarathan and Adam. Maybe they were having some kind of a, a thing going on, and they were, they were doing some kind of block party, and they just kind of did something to the river, and so it stopped. And Well, how do you explain the riverbed? instantly drying up so two million people could cross it and so here we see these amazing things and then we see in joshua chapter 4 verse 1 says this when all the people were safely across the river the lord said to joshua and this is so important now choose 12 men one from each tribe tell the men to take 12 stones from where the priests are standing in the middle of the jordan and pile them up at the place where you camp tonight and people gotta be thinking like joshua what's with the new interest in geology. Like, what are we doing with these rocks? Like, what's going on here? And he says in verse six, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In Hebrew, the word memorial means to remember. You know what Joshua knows right in the middle of this miracle? He knows we're great at forgetting how powerful and awesome God is. He knows that we are like professional forgetters 
of how great, powerful, and awesome God is, how strong he is, how present he is, how much he loves us, and how much he cares about even the little things in our lives. And so he says, let's get some stones and let's build a memorial so we always remember this, so we never forget that God is awesome and powerful. It goes on, it says, in the future, this is Joshua talking, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean to you? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Lord, or I'm sorry, that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a permanent memorial among the people of Israel. Joshua's going, we're not gonna forget this. We're going to remember that God is awesome and powerful. Verse 9 says this, Joshua also built another memorial of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. The memorial remains there to this day. Now, this doesn't mean the memorial is still there today. It means that when this book was written, the memorial still stood there to that day. And so Joshua has the foresight to say, all right, build a memorial, take some stones, go build a memorial when we get on the other side of this river. But he also has the foresight to say, I want a memorial right here. I want it right in the middle of the river where the priests are standing. And so you gotta imagine this, two million people are going by with all their stuff and all their earthly belongings and Joshua is finding people to, to build a memorial in the middle of the river and people must have thought he was crazy. Joshua, we will never forget this. How are we ever gonna forget what God did? but he knows how we are. And so he says, no, let's get this built right here in the spot so we always remember how powerful and awesome God is. Then verse 21 says this, then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up till we had all crossed over. And listen, here, here's where we find our answer. Why'd you do this, God? Joshua, why did God do this? He did this so that all the nations of the earth might know two things, the power of the Lord and that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Remember what we said earlier. What does it mean to fear the Lord our God? It doesn't mean to be afraid of him. It means to be in awe of him. That's that Hebrew word. That's where we get our word awesome. So Joshua is saying, okay, there's two reasons God did this for you today. So that you'll always remember how powerful he is, how strong he is. And secondly, how awesome he is. That he's present, loving, and caring. That's why God did these things. That's why we're building these memorials so that you and I will never forget. Do you see how important it was that they experienced God for themselves. Remember earlier I said that when they crossed the Jordan, the Bible tells us they ended up in what area? Jericho. Does anybody remember the story of Jericho? The story of Jericho is that they crossed the Jordan and they got to Jericho and now they're looking at walls they can never get themselves through. They're looking at walls that surround a city that they need out of their way, but they know they can't conquer these walls. And God says, walk around these walls and you watch them fall down. I just wonder if they hadn't seen God split the Jordan, if they would have had the faith and expectation for Jericho, 
if they hadn't gone through that river like they did, if Jericho would have been overwhelming and they would have said, wait, how are we going to do this? How are we going to get past this? But man, I just have to wonder if one of the reasons they were so willing to do something as crazy as walk around a city until God made the walls fall down is because they just seen him part a river. And so I just think about you and I. And I think about the fact that, man, maybe one of the things we got to get better at is remembering the Jordan when we're facing our Jerichos. We got to remember the times in our past when God came through in an awesome and powerful way as we're facing a new thing that we know we can't get ourselves out of. And I love that these people, man, they were so key on remembering what God had done that they even said, yo, this is going to be for our generations to come. They need to hear about this awesome, powerful God. And so what I want you guys to remember and take away from this message is that experiencing God reminds us that God is powerful and awesome. That's why it's so important, because you and I forget that so easily. And when we have an up-to-date experience with God, we're reminded again, wow, God is powerful. There's nothing he can't do. And he is awesome, which means he's present, and he loves us, and he's caring. And so how do I want you to respond to this? What I would love for you to do is I would love for every one of us, whether we aren't even sure if God is there or whether we've been a Christian for a long time, we have tons of head knowledge, or whether we experienced them but it's been a while, or whether we have an up-to-date encounter with God, what I would encourage you to do is seek God for a fresh experience. Let it be something passionate in your heart that you begin to say, God, I want to see you do something new. God, it was great 20 years ago. It was great 10 years ago. It was great when I first got saved. But God, something new in my life. Maybe some of you in the room, just God, if I'm being real, I've never experienced you. I don't even know if you're there because I've never experienced the difference you can make in a life. So God, would you do that in my life? Would you let me experience you? So that's what I would encourage you to do. That's what I'm doing right now in my own life. I've seen God do such amazing things. I've seen him answer prayer and do such awesome, great things. He's changed my life. He's made a difference in my marriage and in my kids and in my friendships. He's done great things. But I want a new experience with God because I'm so quick to forget how powerful and awesome he is. And can I ask you to do something? When you experience him, I wanna ask you, to build a memorial. Now, I'm not gonna like, ask you to go get some stones at like, Home Depot and you know, figure this thing out, okay? I think maybe in our day and age, something else might work. You know what some of you need to do? Next time you experience God in a fresh way, you just need to journal it if you're a journaler. If you're not into like, doing that, then maybe you just need to open up the front of your Bible and just write on the front of your Bible on this date, God answered the prayer and so-and-so was healed. God answered the prayer, and -and so-and-so got saved. God answered the prayer, and the marriage was put back together. God answered the prayer, and he came through exactly in our finances, just what we need. Maybe you're a little more high-tech, and you need to get on iCal, right, and set a reminder to go off once a month or once a week that just reminds you of what God did, how he changed your life. Some of you are a little more artsy. You need to write a song about it. You need to paint a picture of it. Whatever you've got to do to remember. And I think the most important thing we can do, especially parents in the room, is tell the next generation. That's something that Kelly and I are doing with our kids now. We begin to, you know, once in a while, just sit them down and say, you know what mommy and daddy saw God do once? You know how awesome it was when he came through? We tell stories. We tell Cade the story about when he stopped growing. 
and when he almost died, and how when we go to doctors now and we say that that condition was true of our first pregnancy, they all say, oh, um, well, when did you lose the baby? So we didn't lose the baby. He's right over there. God rescued him. And so telling the next generation is so powerful. So seek God for the new experience and then remember, do whatever you have to do to remember that God is powerful and awesome. And the next time you face Jericho and you remember Jordan, it'll give you what you need to keep going. Some of you guys, as a part of kind of seeking this new experience with God, you need to look back to a past one. You need to remember what he did years ago. And that will give you the strength that you need to continue to seek him. There's nothing like remembering what God has done and the ways we've experienced him. I was talking with a few friends recently who were telling me that when they are going through really hard times and sometimes they don't feel as close to God as they once did, let me just say, if you're a new follower of Jesus, that happens sometimes. Like in any relationship, sometimes you feel real close to somebody, sometimes you feel a little bit more distant. And you know what? When they feel somewhat distant from God, they think back to those times he showed up in a way he only could. And it gives them what they need to keep on going forward. They remember that God is powerful and awesome. About a week and a half ago, Joey and Andrew and I went over to Bobby's Burger Palace because that's where Jesus would have eaten if he were here today. It's just so good, and uh, we want to be like the Savior. And so we went over there, and we were eating, and um, one of our friends, John Contest, walked in the door. We were like, yeah, what's up, man? And so we started to talk, and he, you know, we paid him 10 bucks to come eat with us. And, and so he sat, and he ate with us. And um, as we were sitting eating, he was asking us how things are going with the building situation. If you don't know, this building is, we're kind of outgrowing, especially the parking, so we're looking for a new space, and we're excited, but we don't have anything yet, and so we're telling them the whole story. We literally spent the next hour to an hour and a half just sitting, listening to John tell us stories about how God came through in his life when it came to times either a business he's involved with or a personal thing where his finances were in trouble, and God just came through literally to the dollar, and it was always like he was standing on the, the banks of the Jordan, which was flooded right when he just couldn't get you know, passed on his own, and God came through. And here's a a guy, you know, that's like one generation telling the next of God's goodness, one generation memorializing what God has done in the past, and we left so encouraged. And that's what God's calling us to do now. It's to experience him in fresh ways, to remember it, and to tell future generations about this powerful, awesome God that we have. I love the fact, guys, that you have the Red Sea, which was this huge life or death moment. And then I love you have the Jordan, which wasn't life or death, which was impossible for them to get two million people across with all their stuff and sheep and goats. Yeah, it was impossible, but this wasn't life or death. It wasn't the end of the world. But yet God still showed up, didn't he? You see, God cared about the Jordan as much as he did the Red Sea. And God cares about your little Jordan River issues as much as he does your big Red Sea issues. And so I want to encourage you, whether you're kind of standing there looking at the Red Sea or you're looking at just a little Jordan River issue in your life, that God is powerful and awesome and able to get you across on dry ground. And I just want to encourage you, let your heart kind of be soft toward God in this because sometimes what we do is we go, God... If you don't come through in this exact way, then you're not there or you're not good, right? I would just encourage you, let God be the one who gets to decide how he's coming through in your life. You know, Tim Keller said something like this. I might mess this up, but he said something like this. God gives us whatever we would ask him for if we could see everything he sees. God gives us 
whatever we'd ask him for, if we could see everything that he sees. And what does that mean? It means you and I are praying for A, and God gives us a C, and we go, you're not good. Why'd you give me that? I asked you for that. But if we could see everything God could see as we seek him in experiences, and we say, God, just show me you're real. Let's let him be God. And let's let him show up how he knows he should show up in our lives. And so will you seek God for a new experience? When you experience him, will you remember? Will you memorialize it however you have to? And some of you, we need to look back at those past experiences we've had so we can move forward. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to tell you for a minute that every picture we get in the Bible of God saving somebody out of a situation is just a little picture of what Jesus would come and do and ultimately save us one day. Every time God rescues someone in the Old Testament and these stories that you know, are written thousands of years before Jesus would come, they're always pointing to the fact that Jesus would come and save in a much greater way. Being saved from a river or a sea is great, but being saved eternally, your soul rescued back, bought back, bought back by God on the cross, that is the greatest miracle there is. And so let this little picture of how God saved these people thousands of years ago remind you of what he then came to do a few thousand years later and get on a cross and die in our place. And just like he can split a sea and split a river, he can split you and your sin. And like we talked about last week, remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, it's time to seek God for some new experiences and remember them. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I would love for you today to put your trust in this amazing God. But let's go after God together. Let's as a church decide that we're hungry for some new experiences with God. And it's so important because experiencing God reminds us that God is powerful and awesome. Let's pray. God, we are grateful to you that you love us so much and that you care about the big Red Sea stuff. You care about the little Jordan River stuff. And so we thank you for that. And we just ask God that you would help us remember God, that you'd even bring things back to our memory that maybe we forgot, maybe we didn't write it down or we never told anybody about, but it was a moment when you showed up. And we just pray that you would do something in our hearts, God, to remind us and to give us hope that as we're looking at Jericho, we'd remember Jordan and what you did. And maybe we're at Jordan and we remember the Red Sea and all that you did. And so God, just help us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, would you spend a minute or two just remembering if you've experienced God. If you've never experienced God, maybe it's a time now to just seek God for yourself and say, God, I want to encounter you, experience you for myself. I'm thankful I can read about these stories in the Bible of great miracles and awesome things you do. I'm great. I'm grateful for the times friends tell me stories, but I want my own experience with you. If you've experienced God, remember what he's done and ask for new up-to-date ones. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you'd like to be, I would love for you to Put your trust in Jesus if that's what you would like to do now. I would love to just lead you in a prayer. Be quiet, silently, just between you and God. You can pray something like this. Jesus, thank you that you part rivers, you part seas, and you part me from my sin. Thank you that you're a rescuer, you're a savior. You're powerful, you're strong, you're awesome, which means you're present. You care and you love me. So I put my trust in you today, Jesus.
I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I ask you to be my savior. And I put my eternity in your hands. I thank you for this gift that you give, God, that I can never earn. Just like I couldn't cross a, a river or a sea myself, that God, you've rescued me from my sin. Thank you for this amazing gift. And now help me to experience you for myself.